Section 27 of Sketches of the Fair Sex in All Parts of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dirk Eichhorn. Sketches of the Fair Sex in All Parts of the World by Anonymous. Art of Determining the Precise Figure the degree of beauty, the habits, and the age of women, notwithstanding the aids and disguises of dress. Of figure. External indications as to figure are required chiefly as to the limbs which are concealed by drapery. Such indications are afforded by the walk to every careful observer in considering the proportion of the limbs to the body. If, even in a young woman, the walk, though otherwise good, be heavy, or the fall on each foot alternately be sudden, and rather upon the heel, the limbs, though well formed, will be found to be slender compared with the body. This conformation accompanies any great proportional development of the vital system, and it is frequently observable in the women of the Saxon population of England, as in the counties of Norfolk, Suffolk, etc. In women of this conformation, moreover, the slightest indisposition or debility is indicated by a slight vibration of the shoulders and upper part of the chest at every step in walking. In considering the line or direction of the limbs. If, viewed behind, the feet at every step are thrown out backward and somewhat laterally, the knees are certainly much inclined inward. If, viewed in front, the dress at every step is, as it were, gathered toward the front and then tossed more or less to the opposite side, the knees are certainly too much inclined. In considering the relative size of each portion of the limbs, if in the walk there be a greater or less approach to the marching pace, the hip is large, for we naturally employ the joint which is surrounded with the most powerful muscles, and in any approach to the march it is the hip joint which is used, and the knee and ankle joints which remain proportionally unemployed. If in the walk the tripping pace be used, as in an approach to walking on tiptoes, the calf is large, for it is only by the power of its muscles that, under the weight of the whole body, the foot can be extended for this purpose. If in the walk the foot be raised in a slovenly manner, and the heel be seen at each step to lift the bottom of the dress upward and backward, neither the hip nor the calf is well developed. Even with regard to the parts of the figure which are more exposed to observation by the closer adaptation of dress, much deception occurs. It is therefore necessary to understand the arts employed for this purpose, at least by skillful women. A person having a narrow face wears a bonnet with wide front, exposing the lower part of the cheeks. One having a broad face wears a closer front, 
and if the jaw be wide, it is in appearance diminished by bringing the corners of the bonnet sloping to the point of the chin. A person having a long neck has the neck of the bonnet descending, the neck of the dress rising, and filling more or less of the intermediate space. One having a short neck has the whole bonnet short and close in the perpendicular direction, and the neck of the dress neither high nor wide. Persons with narrow shoulders have the shoulders or epaulets of the dress formed on the outer edge of the natural shoulder, very full, and both the bosom and back of the dress running in oblique folds, from the point of the shoulder to the middle of the bust. Persons with waists too large render them less before by a stomacher or something equivalent, and behind by a corresponding form of the dress, making the top of the dress smooth across the shoulders and drawing it in plates to a narrow point at the bottom of the waist. Those who have the bosom too small enlarge it by the oblique folds of the dress being gathered above and by other means. Those who have the lower posterior part of the body too flat elevate it by the top of the skirt being gathered behind and by other less skilful adjustments which, though hid, are easily detected. Those who have the lower part of the body too prominent anteriorly render it less apparent by shortening the waist, by a corresponding projection behind, and by increasing the bosom above. Those who have the haunches too narrow take care not to have the bottom of the dress too wide. Tall women have a wide skirt, or several flounces, or both of these. Shorter women, a moderate one, but as long as can be conveniently worn, with the flounces, etc., as low as possible. Of Beauty Additional indications as to beauty are required chiefly where the woman observed precedes the observer, and may, by her figure, naturally and reasonably excite his interest, while at the same time it would be rude to turn and look in her face on passing. There can, therefore, be no impropriety in observing that the conduct of those who may happen to meet the woman, thus proceeding, will differ according to the sex of the person who meets her. If the person meeting her be a man, and the lady observed be beautiful, he will not only look with an expression of pleasure at her countenance, but will afterward turn more or less completely to survey her from behind. If the person meeting her be a woman, the case becomes more complex. If both be either ugly or beautiful, or if the person meeting her be beautiful and the lady observed be ugly, then it is probable that the approaching person may pass by inattentively, casting merely an indifferent glance. If, on the contrary, the woman meeting her be ugly and the lady observed be beautiful, then the former will examine the latter with the severest scrutiny and if she sees features and shape without defect, 
she will instantly fix her eyes on the headdress or gown in order to find some object for censure of the beautiful woman and for consolation in her own ugliness. Thus, he who happens to follow a female may be aided in determining whether it is worth his while to glance at her face in passing or to devise other means of seeing it. Even when the face is seen, as in meeting in the streets or elsewhere, infinite deception occurs as to the degree of beauty. This operates so powerfully that a correct estimate of beauty is perhaps never formed at first. This depends on the forms and still more on the colors of dress in relation to the face. For this reason it is necessary to understand the principles according to which colors are employed, at least by skillful women. When it is the fault of a face to contain too much yellow, then yellow around the face is used to remove it by contrast and to cause the red and blue to predominate. When it is the fault of the face to contain too much red, then red around the face is used to remove by contrast and to cause the yellow and blue to predominate. When it is the fault of the face to contain too much blue, then blue around the face is used to remove it by contrast and to cause the yellow and red to predominate. When it is the fault of the face to contain too much yellow and red, then orange is used. When it is the fault of the face to contain too much red and blue, then purple is used. When it is the fault of a face to contain too much blue and yellow, then green is used. It is necessary to observe that the linings of bonnets reflect their color on the face, and transparent bonnets transmit that color and equally tinge it. In both these cases, the color employed is no longer that which is placed around the face, and which acts on it by contrast, but the opposite. As green around the face heightens a faint red in the cheeks by contrast, so the pink lining of the bonnet aids it by reflection. Hence, linings which reflect are generally of the tar which is wanted in the face, and care is then taken that these linings do not come into the direct view of the observer, and operate prejudically on the face by contrast, overpowering the little color which by reflection they should heighten. The fronts of bonnets so lined, therefore, do not widen greatly forward and bring their color into contrast. When bonnets do widen, the proper contrast is used as a lining, but then it has not a surface much adapted for reflection, otherwise it may perform that office and injure the complexion. Understanding, then, the application of these colors in a general way, it may be noticed that fair faces are by contrast best acted on by light colors and dark faces by dark colors. Dark faces are best affected by darker colors, evidently because they tend to render the complexion fairer, and fair faces do not require dark colors because the opposition would be too strong. Objects which constitute a background to the face, or which, on the contrary, reflect their use upon it, always either improve or injure the complexion. 
For this and some other reasons, many persons look better at home in their apartments than in the streets. Apartments may, indeed, be peculiarly calculated to improve individual complexions. Of mind External indications as to mind may be derived from figure, from gait, and from dress. As to figure, a certain symmetry or disproportion of parts, either of which depends immediately upon the locomotive system, or a certain softness or hardness of form, which belongs exclusively to the vital system, these reciprocally denote a locomotive symmetry or disproportion, or a vital softness or hardness, or a mental delicacy or coarseness, which will be found also indicated by the features of the face. These qualities are marked in pairs, as each belonging to its respective system, for without this there can be no accurate or useful observation. As to gait, that progression which advances, unmodified by any lateral movement of the body, or any perpendicular rising of the head, and which belongs exclusively to the locomotive system, or that soft lateral rolling of the body which belongs exclusively to the vital system, or that perpendicular rising or falling of the head at every impulse to step, which belongs exclusively to the mental system, these reciprocally indicate a corresponding locomotive or vital or mental character, which will be found also indicated by the features of the face. To put to the test the utility of these elements of observation and indication, let us take a few instances. If in any individual locomotive symmetry of figure is combined with direct and linear gait, a character of mind and countenance not absolutely repulsive, but cold and insipid, is indicated. If vital softness of figure is combined with a gentle lateral rolling of the body in its gait, voluptuous character and expression of countenance are indicated. If delicacy of outline and the figure be combined with perpendicular rising of the head, levity, perhaps vanity, is indicated. But there are innumerable combinations and modifications of the elements which we have just described, Expressions of pride, determination, obstinacy, etc., are all observable. The gate, however, is often formed in a great measure by local or other circumstances, by which it is necessary that the observer should avoid being misled. Dress, as affording indications, though less to be relied on than the preceding, is not without its value. The woman who possesses a cultivated taste and a corresponding expression of countenance will generally be tastefully dressed, and the vulgar woman, with features correspondingly rude, will easily be seen through the inappropriate mask in which her milliner or dressmaker may have invested her. Of Habits External indications as to the personal habits of women are both numerous and interesting. 
The habit of childbearing is indicated by a flatter breast, a broader back, and thicker cartilages of the bones of the pubis, necessarily widening the pelvis. The same habit is also indicated by a high rise of the nape of the neck, so that the neck from that point bends considerably forward, and by an elevation which is diffused between the neck and shoulders. These all arise from temporary distensions of the trunk in women whose secretions are powerful, from the habit of throwing the shoulders backward during pregnancy, and the head again forward, to balance the abdominal weight, and they bestow a character of vitality peculiarly expressive. The same habit is likewise indicated by an excess of that lateral rolling of the body in walking, which was already described as connected with voluptuous character. This is a very certain indication, as it arises from temporary distensions of the pelvis, which nothing else can occasion. As in consequence of this lateral rolling of the body, and of the weight of the body being much thrown forward in gestation, the toes are turned somewhat inward, they aid in the indication. The habit of nursing children is indicated both in mothers and nursery maids, by the right shoulder being larger and more elevated than the left. The habits of the seamstress are indicated by the neck suddenly bending forward, and the arms being, even in walking, considerably bent forward or folded more or less upward from the elbows. Habits of labor are indicated by a considerable thickness of the shoulders below, where they form an angle with the inner part of the arm, and where these habits are of the lowest menial kind, the elbows are turned outward and the palms of the hands backward. Of age. External indications of age are required chiefly where the face is veiled, or where the woman observed precedes the observer and may reasonably excite his interest. In either of these cases, if the foot and ankle have lost a certain moderate plumpness and assumed a certain sinewy or bony appearance, the woman has generally passed the period of youth. If in walking, instead of the ball or outer edge of the foot first striking the ground, it is the heel which does so, then has the woman in general passed the meridian of life. Unlike the last indication, this is apparent, however the foot and ankle may be clothed. The reason of this indication is the decrease of power which unfits the muscles to receive the weight of the body by maintaining the extension of the ankle joint. Exceptions to this last indication are to be found chiefly in women in whom the developments of the body are proportionally much greater, either from a temporary or a permanent cause, than those of the limbs, the muscles of which are consequently incapable of receiving the weight of the body by maintaining the extension of the ankle joint. End of section 27